Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, um, episode 23. Uh, special thanks to uh, the guests that I've had uh, over the last several episodes, um, Sean Richardson, Doug Jones, Corey Edwards. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed those episodes. Um, so uh, I guess we'll just go ahead and get right into it. Um, today, we are going to talk about the Wolfman. And uh, I'm sure there are some people who are saying, uh, you know, with with all the Oscar nominees out there right now, why on earth would we, why, why would we cover The Wolfman? Um, and the reason is I love werewolf movies. So uh, that's what we're going to talk about. Um, and I know, and and I, I've been telling my friends and former guests uh, that, hey, there's a Wolfman episode coming up soon. And all of them would invariably say, like, are you, are you kidding me? Uh, why on earth would you do that? Um, and, uh, and so I would, I would give them my, uh, my explanation, which I'm about to give you. Um, uh, I'm, I'm fascinated by, uh, like, the old-time uh, universal horror films, um, like Dracula and Frankenstein and The Wolfman and The Invisible Man. Um, but the big three, uh, and then there's, there's a Creature from the Black Lagoon and The Mummy, uh, but the big three are Dracula, Frankenstein, and the Wolfman. Now, uh, the reason that I think those those films uh, ha- really resonate, and of course, uh, two of them are based on based on you know classic uh, horror and sci-fi novels. Uh, Wolfman is a, an original creation, but um, the reason I think that those three really really hit with people, um, it was a combination of things. But uh, but I think thematically. Um, and if you look, you know, these days, I mean, vampires are everywhere. But vampire movies, I mean. Um, and uh, and uh, to a lesser extent, uh, werewolf movies pop up from time to time. And, and often there will be some crossover, you know, like the Underworld series uh, or the Twilight series where you will have uh, werewolves in what is ostensibly a vampire movie. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein has been adapted uh, several times. Um but I think what 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 people respond to, even if they don't really know, uh, even if they don't really know it, uh, I think what people respond to um, in those films is that the the horror um, is not external. It's it's not um, you know the the main characters aren't dealing with something that is coming after them. Um, instead, the horror has to do with something that's internal. Um, in the case of Frankenstein, uh, the monster, who is pretty much the main character um, of the film, played by Boris Karloff, uh, the monster is dealing with his own nature, and he's struggling with that. And if you watch Bride of Frankenstein, I mean, he wants to be dead. Uh, he says, "We belong dead," um, and he want you know he wants to be one thing, you know, he wants to be accepted by people and loved, um, but his own nature prevents that. And so he's just very angry and frustrated with that and just wants to not be alive anymore. Um, in the case of Dracula, um, and vampire movies in general, um, you know, the, the horror comes from this realization that, well, I've been bitten by this thing and now I need to bite others. I need to drink the blood of others and cause it, you know, it's kind of like an, an infection kind of thing, like an epidemic sort of thing. Um, and, and now I need to do this. I've, I'm becoming something I don't want to be, but the neat thing about 
vampire films is that there's always an allure to vampires. They always, you know, they you are attracted to them, and then you become their victim, and then you became you become one of them, and you are very attractive to others. Um, and that's something that was uh, that was actually even explored in uh, the Twilight films. Um, the idea of just these beings that are that are required to be incredibly beautiful because they need to be so that people will come to them and then they can uh, feast on their blood. Uh, With werewolf movies, I think those are the ones that have resonated with me the most because um, much like with vampires, you you, you you get attacked by a werewolf and then you become a werewolf yourself. Uh, Not all the time. uh, Only every once in a while. And which is say uh, every full moon, and so you want. But unlike unlike a, a vampire, when you become when you turn into the wolf, you are not conscious of the things you're doing. It's just there's something inside you. You know it's there. You don't have to deal with it on a daily basis, but you know that given enough time, it will come out, and you have no control over it. It is, you know, uh, people have said that werewolf stories are the are the stories of like a person dealing with their own uh, animal instincts and, and that sort of thing. And so that's, that to me is, been, is fascinating because um, if you look at um, the Wolfman, uh, like the original Universal Wolfman um, with uh, Lon Chaney Jr., uh, and then you look at you know An American Werewolf in London um, and, and several others, including the new Wolfman, uh, you will actually find that the main character doesn't want to be a werewolf. He doesn't want to kill people. He's a, a genuinely uh, good person uh, who is all of a sudden, you know, he has to. This thing is now starting to to happen to him, and he doesn't want it to. Um, and then I'm not I'm not spoiling anything when I say pretty much every werewolf movie has to end with the werewolf dying because that. Because when you are a werewolf, uh, werewolf, you can't get away from it. The only way you can get away from it is to die, and so it's kind of a it's kind of a strange thing that you're rooting for the main character, but the only way for you for you to root for him to like achieve his goals is for you to root for him to die, um, because you come to realize that death is better than what he is the situation he's in right now. Um, but what what I've found interesting in uh, in werewolf movies uh, kind of relatively recently, like in the last you know, 20, 30 years, is that um, you'll run across some in which uh, you'll meet, you know, you'll meet werewolves in which the person who is a werewolf likes being a werewolf. They enjoy it. They like being able to, to just finally to cut loose and really just, uh, and let, as I said, that animal instinct, let it take over. Uh, which basically means just kind of shrugging off uh, expectations of humanity and morality, uh, and just doing whatever you want to do, and uh, and so that's that's uh, that added something to the to the uh, thematic element of uh, the werewolf film because you know you find somebody you you will find some people for whom this is uh exhilarating and the the last thing they want to do is die in fact this ma- being a werewolf makes them feel more alive and so that's what you know so that's what they want to do um so it's uh, it's with that in mind cuz we are going to explore those elements um it's with that in mind that I'll talk about 
uh, the the Wolfman. Wow, that was eight minutes already. That's insane. Okay, so we're going to talk about the Wolfman here. Um, I really enjoyed it. I liked it a lot. Um, friend of the show and uh, blogger for the the site, um, Jason Eakin. He, uh, I went to see it with him, and afterwards we both said like that's a that's a perfectly fine film, and 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 actually quite enjoyable because. It's a film that really uh, respects its source material, which is the 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 '40s film uh, from Universal. Uh, you know, it it's got all the elements of one of those old timey uh, horror films. It's got you know uh, a fog filled forest. I didn't mean to go with three Fs there, but it's just the way it worked out. Um, you know, it's got big castles. It has suspicious villagers who hang out in the pub. It has a, a you know a, a shifty-eyed uh, inspector. Um, it, it has a lot of uh, a lot of things, you know. And it's very, you know, it's, there's a lot of shadows for a werewolf to pop out of, and and uh, so it has all of these elements that are just so much fun uh, for uh, for a, a movie fan. Um, you know, if you watch any of those old films. Um, the exception probably being uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon because that takes place uh, in, in modern times. But, uh, but you know, you watch Frankenstein or Dracula or Invisible Man, they all have that, you know, just the, the eccentric villagers, you know, uh, probably, uh, you know, an old windmill and, and just a, and a dark, frightening, foreboding countryside. And, uh, and Joe Johnston, the director of The Wolfman, he understands that, and he clearly has a lot of affection for it. Um, I remember I, the, I have versions of uh, The Invisible Man and Dracula and Wolfman uh, and Frankenstein that were released in conjunction with uh, the, the theatrical release of a film called Van Helsing. And uh, Van Helsing, basically, uh, a character from... Uh, Dracula uh, is now played by uh, Hugh Jackman, and he fights all the monsters. He fights Dracula. He fights uh, werewolves. Uh, Frankenstein's involved. He fights them all. And um, and I remember, and so it's like because he's fighting all these, Universal decided to release to re-release these really, admittedly, these really decked out uh, DVD versions of their old Universal horror films. And uh, on each one. The director of Van Helsing, Stephen Summers, talks about how much he, you know, in uh, Frankenstein, he talks about how much Frankenstein meant to him and all that. And and uh, you watch it and you think like, oh, okay, so he was influenced by these films. But if you if you were to watch Van Helsing, you'd see that the influence is really only skin deep uh, because he didn't care much about. He was making an action film, admittedly, he wasn't trying to make a horror film or, or a thriller or anything. But nonetheless, he just feels like he was mildly influenced by certain superficial aspects of these old uh, these old horror films, and then he mo- and then he j- and used them as a jumping off point. Joe Johnston in his remake of The Wolfman is is clearly trying to be so faithful to um, to the original uh, Wolfman, but also all of those those old horror films. It just has a, a very clear sense of style, and so. Um, so on that on that level, uh, I really enjoyed uh, the film. Both Jason and I uh, did a great deal. Um, but then also, uh, there's plenty there as far as character and acting. Um, you know, uh, the Lawrence Talbot, who's the main character, he's the Wolfman of the of the title. Um, he he's played by Benicio del Toro, and and if you look at the old Lon Chaney version, and you look at at this one, you know, uh, unfortunately in 
in werewolf movies, the lead is often required to be not necessarily bland, but they like from a thematic standpoint, it's their job to really convey the frustration and the real horror uh, of being a werewolf. And so he, so Benicio del Toro, he does that that job very well. He's not, he can't have, he can't really have fun with the role because this is a man who is bitten by a werewolf and as the full moon is starting to approach, he has nightmares every night about uh, wolves and about various other things and he just, uh, he is absolutely tortured. So he's not having any fun. Um, and and so I, he's doing what he's supposed to do. Um, whereas if you look at somebody like Anthony Hopkins who plays his father or Hugo Weaving who plays uh, the inspector that I talked about, um, they're clearly having a lot of fun because the weight, the thematic weight of the film is not on their shoulders. So they can just do uh, what is most, what is kind of most interesting and they can have a lot of fun with the role. Um, I'm somebody who has kind of uh, been a little harsh on Anthony Hopkins uh, for being something of an overactor. Um, but I, I've come to realize that he overacts only when it is, when it's required and he's in a werewolf film. Uh, and what's more, a particularly stylistic werewolf film. So you know what? I'm fine with that. It doesn't bother me because he can he can underplay things when he needs to. If you you know if you want proof of that, just watch Shadowlands, in which he plays uh, C.S. Lewis. It's a wonderful performance. But he has he generates laughs uh, in just his line delivery, or like he'll throw out a like a wink or something like that. His character is just so fun to watch, as is Hugo Weaving. And anybody who's watched, uh, you know, the Matrix films, uh, or more specifically V for Vendetta, knows that Hugo Weaving has an amazing voice and an amazing way of articulating lines so that he is, like, he's just so much fun to listen to. And so uh, so it's just really fun watching both of them. And, and uh, Benicio Del Toro is just... You re- I really felt invested in what he was going through. Uh, that was that's something that I think in which this film uh, kind of improves on the original Wolfman because uh, aside from when uh, Lawrence Talbot is the wolf, you know, in the original I never really got a sense of the of the horror, the torture that he was going through on a daily basis, even when he wasn't the wolf. This one really, really makes it hell to be in this situation. Um, and so, uh, so just from a stylistic point of view, I really enjoyed it, but I find myself wondering if somebody would enjoy it uh, as much if they didn't have an appreciation for those old films. So what I would say is, you know, go and watch the original Wolfman and then watch the new one and just uh, and kind of appreciate the craftsmanship, but also it's just, uh, you know, it's also just, I think, well told. And the action sequences uh, are a lot of fun and uh, legitimately, not necessarily frightening, but they are appropriately gory, um, as one would expect. So, um, so that's just the, the, the artistic aspect of the film. Uh, I highly recommend it on that front. Um, thematically, and I'll, I'll get into the story a little bit because I, I need to. Um, uh, Benicio Del Toro plays a, a, an actor who has been, who's British originally, but has been living in the United States for years and years. And uh, he's in London uh, playing Hamlet, and he gets word that his his brother has been brutally killed, and uh, so he he goes and visits uh, his father, and uh, played by Anthony Hopkins, and uh, he hasn't seen his father in you know probably thirty years, and he hasn't seen his brother in in probably as long, 
and um, and his brother's uh, wife is there as well. Wife or fiance? Ah, shoot. Now I don't remember. Sorry. Uh, let's say the love of his brother's life. Let's go ahead and say that. Um, and so, uh, so as, as Lawrence is, is, uh, examining, you know, and investigating what happened to his brother, he, you know, uh, it's, it's revealed that there's a werewolf on the loose and then, uh, you know, uh, Lawrence goes and visits a gypsy village and, uh, and that's where the werewolf strikes on the full moon and Lawrence gets, uh, you know, scratched or bitten, but he does not die. And so everyone in the village knows exactly what that means. And so like, uh, people are threatening him and he's starting to have nightmares and he, you know, he accepts it pretty quick that like, I think something bad is going to happen. And so that's, that's where the, uh, where the conflict comes in, uh, as well as, and there's going to be spoilers here. Uh, sorry, everybody. Uh, it turns out that, um, that Lawrence's father is the werewolf that uh, that bit him and killed his brother, and as it turns out, thirty years before, uh, killed uh, Lawrence's mother, uh, Anthony Hopkins' uh, character's wife. Um, so he's really he, as the werewolf, has has really terrorized this family. Um, and and what's interesting is that while Lawrence hates the fact of what he is becoming, uh, his father, Sir John Talbot, um, he seems to like it. It seems to really, um, makes him feel, I guess, virile and alive. And he just really, he really enjoys what this curse has, has given him. And I think that's, I don't know. It's, this is going to be kind of very abstract, um, and thankfully I've got some some Bible verses here. Christian podcast, why not? Um, because I think what's what's interesting is because is that what what we come what we come to is the, a con- the concept of selfishness, uh, the concept uh, and, and the concept of selfishness and evil, and how connected those things are. Because I think all evil starts uh, from selfishness from deciding that my desires, my needs are more important than yours and then taking that to uh, to to any kind of extreme, maybe not even an, an extreme, just the minute I act on that idea um then I've started to do evil. And so um you know, we have uh two characters who are in a similar situation uh in which they, you know, People are going to die at their hand. One of them does not want it to happen, and much like the original were- uh, Wolfman, uh, Lawrence Talbot, he just wants de- it wants to be dead. At first, he fi- he wants to see if there's a way that he can fix this, and then he realizes that there isn't, and all he wants to do is be dead. Um, his father, on the other hand, he just wants to live, and this is allowing him to live in a way that he never thought he would, because um, you know some. In a lot of ways, uh, l- like the idea of truly living um, is associated with a certain degree of freedom. And th- and as I mentioned before, throwing off uh, the moral laws of society and and doing only what is good for you um, and thinking only of yourself and not having to be bogged down by social obligation, that can seem very freeing. And so... Um, 
so that's kind of what what I wanted to to talk about today. I have uh, several um, I have several verses here. I've got four of them, in fact, uh, but I want to uh, make sure I get them in the right order. Okay, so uh, the first one that we're going to go with is First Peter two sixteen, and it says, "Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as servants of God." And that kind of goes to what I was saying before about the notion of of uh, Anthony Hopkins' character so so embracing this terrible thing that he is because it makes him feel free and alive. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with the concept of freedom, but clearly he's you know much like in this verse, he's using his freedom as a cover up for evil. I'm sure to him it's just like well this is the best thing that could. That could that could be. Never mind the fact that I'm slaughtering dozens of people once a month. Uh, it doesn't matter. I feel great, and that's all that matters. Um, and so that's that to me. Whereas uh, I'll go ahead and jump into this this other one. Um, uh, Romans twelve twenty one. Uh, this verse I'm taking it slightly out of context because it's in the midst of a section uh, about vengeance. Um, in which uh, the verse says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Um, Because that is what we're talking about. Selfishness will beget evil. And uh, and I realize that that, you know, it's a very biblical concept. Um, And I realize that in in society, it's like, well, selfishness is wrong, but there's also, you know, everyone everyone pretty much agrees with that. But at the same time, you know, uh, we also live in, in a society, and I hate the fact that I just said, hey, we live in a society where blank. Uh, I, I never thought I would say that. I feel like Rush Limbaugh or something. Um, but anyway, uh, we do live in a society where emphasis on the individual, and again, individual rights is great. I'm fairly conservative, and I'm all for individual rights. But uh, it becomes the end-all, be-all to the to the exclusion of almost all else. Um, you know, you hear about the me generation and you hear about, you know, Hey, you gotta, you know, you gotta take care of yourself in this life and, and just, you know, various things that basically says, Hey, just look out only for yourself and, uh, screw everybody else. And so, so it's, so there, you know, we, we talk about the idea of, of trying to fight certain ideas of selfishness. Uh, but then we, uh, we'll turn around and say like, well, it's okay to be a little bit selfish. Um, but that is not the case. Here we go. I've got more, more verses for you. Good for us. Oh boy. Why am I being sarcastic? I like these verses. Um, all right. So Philippians two, three, and, uh, not two, three, and four, two verses three and four, uh, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Um, and so this is, you know, this is telling us how we should live. Selfish ambition, vain conceit, like those are the things that, that the world is going to say is perfectly okay. Um, you know, just look out for yourself, take care of yourself. But this is saying that no... Uh, consider others as better than yourself. This doesn't mean you should look at yourself as like this terrible person, but if you always look at, if you, if you are always aware of your own flaws and you choose to not necessarily ignore the flaws of the rest of the world, but you choose to focus on 
what's good about them, then you will always keep yourself humble. Um, you know, you don't have to hate yourself, of course, but if you if you focus on what's great about other people and you keep in mind, you know, it's it's good to know what's good about you and try to try to focus on that, but always keeping in mind, hey, you know what? I'm not I'm certainly not perfect. Um, then this will keep you humble and uh, in a spirit of humility, you will try to help others as you will try and help others um, instead of always thinking about yourself. Um, and so uh, I'll bring up uh, the last uh, there's a there's a section here. Uh, Matthew 22 uh, verse 34 through 40. Uh, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is, uh, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the, Lord, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And so, so in both of the, you know, uh, when, when, you know, the, it's really fascinating to look at, uh, the relationship that, uh, Jesus had with the Pharisees because they were always looking to, to trip him up and they had such a knowledge of, of the law, um, and the scriptures that they were always trying to to be like, oh, what do you think of this? And you know, they would kind of spring little traps on him. Um, and and so he, by saying, well, it's like, you know, there's a lot of lot of laws here. Which one is the best? And he picks uh, these two. And both of them have to do with choosing something other than you, um, which is loving, you know, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, just focusing on God choosing his will over yours. And the other is um, love your neighbor as yourself, which is not choosing yourself instead of your neighbor, but loving him just as much, if not more, like we were talking about before, if not more than yourself, always trying to do uh, good for other people instead of always looking uh, for where you can do good for yourself. Selfish ambition, vain conceit, uh, look, and then, you know, here it's in back to Philippians. It says, not look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And so uh, I realize that to some, what I'm talking about is going to sound kind of frustrating because, you know, this is a very difficult world. And, at the, and you kind of feel like if you don't look out for yourself, no one else will. Um and that is understandable. I've talked about it my, you know, with myself. This is something I struggle with. I have a hard time trusting other people and trusting God uh, to look out for me. And so I feel like, well, if I, if I focus on, on myself, then, uh, then I'll be fine. I may fail, but at least it's my failure and I haven't uh, trusted anybody. You know, and it's, it's interesting to kind of bring this back into the, into the film. Uh, part of the, uh, part of the lore of werewolves is that they will go after those that they love the most. Um, it doesn't feature too prominently in the new film, but it does show up uh, quite a bit in, uh, in the original. And, and I, and in, you know, thinking in terms of kind of thematically, you know, what we've been talking about that, that it's all a, that, you know, where, you know, being a werewolf, um, 
is about uh, the self, basically choosing the self uh, above all else, or at least the self coming to the forefront, and then you choosing what you want to do with that or how you want to respond to it. Uh, so in the light of those, you know, that theme, you know, what, uh, what are we to make of that idea of why would the werewolf go after the thing that it loves most? And quite frankly, my theory, and this is just my theory, is that uh, love is by, is by nature giving. Um, it is vulnerable. It is giving somebody else power over you. Um, it can be a spouse. It can be a family member. It can be a friend. And yes, it can be God. Um, by loving them, you are giving them the power to hurt you, to help you, to do any number of things. And so, as I said, the werewolf, it's, it's, this, it's animalistic nature, instinct, and, and the self coming out. And you can't... And you can't have that and still have somebody own a piece of you because you love them. And so you have to kill them because only then will you truly be free. And so um, so I think that that enters into it is that, uh, you know, Lawrence's father, you know, there's a part uh, because, as I mentioned, he he's terrorized the whole family. Now, my guess is that he when he killed his wife. He didn't mean to and hated himself for it, but he certainly le- learned to live with it. And then when he killed Lawrence's brother, it's because his brother and his girlfriend, wife, fiance, I don't remember, uh, they were going to be leaving. And uh, Anthony Hopkins couldn't stand to watch them leave. And so he killed uh, Lawrence's brother because, again, it's it had gotten to the point where he only cared about what he wanted. Never mind the fact that they were going to be leaving. Uh, never mind the fact that they, they, what they wanted or what they felt they needed. The only thing that matters is what he wants and what he needs. Because, and that's the thing is, if you choose yourself over and over and over again, it may be a function of making small decisions. You're driving along and you won't let somebody in because screw them. You know, Strictly speaking, that's a small decision. That means they might have to wait for another car or something like that. It's these little decisions. But if you make them enough, before you know it, you're making big decisions in which you think, you know what? This person owns this, this thing, but uh, I'm just going to take it because screw them. You know? Um, and I know that sounds drastic, but it can happen. It could, it could equal out to cheating on your taxes and doing various other things. And so... Um, so it does come from selfishness, the choosing of you over somebody else. And, and if you love yourself first, then you're never going to be beholden to any, to anybody else. But if you love your neighbor as yourself, or if you love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, then that is going to be where you put your, your priorities and your, and you know, you, you will not wind up hopefully not wind up, uh, you know, getting really far gone and making these, you know, terrible decisions, uh, that like, uh, that Sir John Talbot makes in the Wolfman. And, uh, briefly the companion film is a, a film that I absolutely love. And it actually has a great deal in common with both werewolf films and vampire films. Uh, it's called ravenous and it was directed by Antonia bird. It was written by Ted Griffin Stars Guy Pierce, Robert Carlyle, Jeffrey Jones, um, and several others, and uh, it uh, it takes place uh, 
in I think the around turn of the century in California, and uh, basically it is a cannibalism film. Uh, I should say to everybody, just in general, both of these films are very graphic, graphically violent, as one would assume. Um, but Ravenous, especially, uh, people will probably find that to be find it just uh, the nature of it find it to be very, very disturbing um, because uh, you know people are being eaten. And uh, but this, to me, you know, without going too far into it, um, this film it illustrates even even more uh, the idea of choosing yourself over somebody else because in this. Literally, you know, uh, the bad guy kills people and eats them because it. there's a, an ancient legend that says you will absorb his power. So he feels powerful, he feels healthy, he feels alive and happy, and, uh, and he's just really... And so the more people he kills, the better he feels. It's, I mean, nothing, nothing illustrates the choosing of the self more than other people than literally eating other people to sustain, not just sustain yourself, but to make yourself feel better than you do right now. And so, um, so I will also say that just, uh, the ravenous is such a fascinating film because I don't know how it got made. It's, it's a period piece about cannibalism. And by the way, it's also kind of funny. It's, it's kind of tongue in cheek, but it still takes its premise very seriously. Uh, Guy Pierce, who plays the main character, he also has uh, he has drank he drank or drunk uh, man I never remember which one to say uh, human blood uh, by accident in the war, but it gave him the strength that he needed to like win a specific battle. But he knows what it's like uh, to feel that power, and so the villain is always trying to bring him over to my side, uh, you know, trying to, to bring him over to the dark side, to put it in star Wars terms. Um, and, uh, guy Pierce is just always fighting it, always fighting it because he knows that there is a way to live life. And this is not the way, this is not the moral way. And Robert Carlyle gave that up a long time ago. And so, um, so it's the, again, much like, uh, werewolf films, the main character is infected by this thing, but he's fighting it within himself. While you know, uh, and much like in the Wolfman, he's having somebody whisper in his ear that, "Hey, stop fighting it. Who cares? Just get rid of this stupid backwards morality that you thought was so important, and just do this. You will feel so much better." And so, um, and it should be noted, spoilers, um, that uh, Guy Pierce sacrifices himself at the end of ravenous because that's something that you know that's something that in the in the christian community we talk about a lot is uh dying to yourself in favor of living for god um it, it literally means that it's like you know what what i think is working for my life my my own goals for my life they don't really they don't matter that much um, what matters is God's will for my life and following God. Now, I realize to my non-Christian listeners, that's going to sound really, really crazy. <coughs> and uh, I'm sorry for that. But it's one of those things where, and, and it also involves a certain trust in God, that you're trusting in a being 
that loves you and it does and and he does have your best interests at hand. So like I said, you know, to love God and to trust God is to give him the power and that can be the hardest thing in the world to do is to give up that power in favor of something you can't see. It's it's incredibly difficult and I personally feel like no one can ever truly master that. They can only work towards it. Um, but, you know, that's that's what it is, dying to the self, realizing that, you know what, other people are better than me. I will love them as myself. I will love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, and mind. And so, um, so de- like, dealing with the evil that comes from just following what's in our natural heart, what's what's inside ourselves, uh, just carrying that out to an extreme to the point where you're killing or eating people, um, you know, to to keep your to keep yourself feeling good. Um, that's what these films are about to me. That's what we as Christians can get out of them is, you know, if you just if you just keep choosing your own way over and over again, then you will turn into something of a monster. And uh, quite frankly, I live in Hollywood, and uh, I have worked or at least interned uh, at various production companies. And I can I can attest to the fact that there are people out here who've had their own way for so long. And I don't mean to say that they're terrible people or that they're irredeemable because nobody is irredeemable. Uh, Everyone, you know, Jesus loves and has forgiven everyone if they just accept it. But they have had their own way for so long that if you look, you look at the way they treat other people and they are monsters. It is possible for that to happen. They don't kill them, but from a pro- <laughs> they try their best to kill these pe- other people professionally because they're choosing themselves over every and anybody else. So, you know... Let's just, if you're not a Christian, let's go ahead and say there's a cautionary tale. And if you are a Christian, just let this be uh, further encouragement that just seek after God because, you know, uh, seek after God and, and seek after the benefit of, you know, of other people um, and, you know, sacrifice, you know, things for, uh, that you want uh, over and over again. I know that sounds awful, but you know I was listening to a sermon recently in which uh, they were talking about Jesus and and uh, they're ta- and you know he was talking about you know Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You know he sacrificed a home, he sacrificed money, he sacrificed a whole lot of things to do what he did. But uh, you know look at the benefit that we've all reaped as a function of that. So anyway, uh, so yeah, thanks everybody for listening to this episode. Um, you can go to the website more than one lesson.com, uh, to see, uh, you know, videos, uh, of the trailers of the films that I've talked about. Um, there's a, a few new blogs up, uh, including, uh, an in-depth, uh, discussion of the, uh, Oscar nominated short, uh, animated short films from this year, and then it's going to be followed up by a discussion of the Oscar-nominated live-action short films. Um, so yeah, uh, you can email me, Tyler, at morethanonelesson.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at morelessons. Um, you can find me on iTunes. Uh, go and uh, rate the show and 
give it a nice review. And uh, yeah, thanks everybody for listening, and uh, I'll get you next time. Bye.